Grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 12. 2, 12. Who needs a lesson? Who needs a lesson? <clears throat> All right, we got one here. Who's going to help me, Brother Melvin? You got him? Here we go. We got, got Steve on this side. Who needs a lesson over here? Anybody need a lesson? Raise your hand high. All right, all the way in the back over here to the side. Help them out. Up in the up on the shelf. Everybody good? No, I got a hand up there. I got a hand up there. Who's going to help them make a, make a plane? And... Y'all don't like these folks over here? No? Okay. Y'all going to have to start treating them nicer. All right, all right. We all there? Revelation chapter number 12. How many of y'all are glad to be saved? Amen. How many of y'all are glad we got a heater? Amen. I am tickled to death to see y'all tonight. On a, on a night like tonight, uh, it is a miracle to have a crowd in a Baptist church. Say amen. amen. That means you came hungry and you want God to feed you. Guess what? We got a buffet tonight. We got a lot of stuff. Now, it don't look like on your outline, it don't look like that there's a lot of stuff on there. But uh, your one page is my four, pa five pages, okay? So uh, I didn't put all the information underneath it so because I, I didn't want to use five million sheets of paper when I passed them out. So you've got the outline, and I'm going to give you the information under it. That way you can write down whatever you want to write down, and then we can go from there. If that makes sense, say amen. All right, Revelation chapter number 2. Do we have anybody here, just out of curiosity, do we have anybody here for the very first time? Anybody here for the very first time on Wednesday night? Okay, we've got one. All right, that means i got to go through my speech again. <clears throat> and I am tickled to death that you're here. Amen. Can we let all our first-timers know we're glad they're here tonight? Awesome. I mean, on a cold, wet night, too. That is great. Amen. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing on Wednesday night. We're taking it uh, uh, slowly, verse by verse, through the book of Revelation. And, uh, and tonight, we happen to be in the, the third letter to the seven churches in Asia. And if you haven't caught up with the last few weeks, I, I'd encourage you to go back on our website and, and catch these letters up. These are seven letters that were given to the Apostle John uh, on the Isle of Patmos to encourage the church there in, in, in Pergamos, which we're, we're going to be on tonight, but also to give us encouragement for what we're going to go through here today. Now, how many of y'all would agree that there are churches that are compromising today? That's what we're talking about here in this letter. So, as you see, it's going to be encouragement for us all. So, let's start in, in, in verse number 12. Verse number 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he that hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even those days... Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly. And will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, 
and will give him a white stone, and in that stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege and the honor it is to be here tonight. It is such a, a, a cool deal to see this crowd. Uh, Lord, in a messy night, a cold, rainy night, they've come out, and, and Lord, they're here to, to study, they're here to learn, uh, they're here to grow and to hear from you. Lord, please don't let them be disappointed. Don't let them leave here without being totally, completely full from eating from the bread of life tonight. I pray that your perfect will be done. Uh, speak through me. Use, use the things we've studied. Uh, uh, Lord, I pray that all this information will, will be a blessing to those that are here. Lord, this is a challenging message too, convicting. And I pray that you'll do that very thing tonight. Bless all those that are here. Give them a special blessing for coming tonight. And Lord, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. As we take uh, through this particular letter, let me remind you, let me remind you again of how this format is. How each one of these letters and the format that, that John used as he wrote these, he always started out with who the letter was from. And, and when we finish a letter, we always finish it with, you know, uh, sincerely whoever at the end. But they always did it at the beginning. They would, they would say who it's from at the beginning. And if you'll remember, in, in John, or excuse me, John recorded in chapter number 1 the description of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of y'all remember that? The, the, the description, the vision of the resurrected Lord, all of the different things, the eyes of fire, the feet like brass, the sharp sword that come out of his mouth, uh, uh, all of the descriptions again, he that was dead and is alive again, all of that's in chapter number one. Well, in each letter, he uses a different description of himself given in chapter one to, to uh, uh, address the particular church he was, he was writing to. And what was the purpose of that? Whatever the problem that they had, his description of himself was the answer to that problem. If that makes sense, say amen. In other words, for instance, last week, or the week before last, we studied that the church of Smyrna was going through great persecution. They were being killed for their faith. So they were fearful and, and they were going through difficulty. And he said, I am he that was dead and is am alive forevermore. In other words, don't be afraid of death. Don't be afraid of the persecution. I've been there, done that, and I can bring you through it. Say amen. And so he is whatever we need. So let's, with that in mind, with that in mind, let's jump right into our letter tonight. <clears throat> we find, can you put up the map for us? If you can put up the map for us. If, if you will see, uh, this, is, this is the map of Asia Minor. And if you'll remember, the first letter was to Ephesus. It would have been the first city in the mail route of the messengers as they went from John to the seven churches and to deliver the letters. Ephesus was first. Uh, two weeks ago, we studied Smyrna, which is about 50 miles north of Ephesus. And then you have Pergamum, uh, which is about 100 miles, a little over 100 miles from Ephesus. Everybody see that at the very top? Say amen. That's Pergamum. That's the city. It is a Greek colony. It is a Greek colony, uh, uh, which was really a Roman province for about in the capital of that area for about 250 to 300 years. And so that's where we are at here tonight. Now let's look in our, let's look in our chapter, verse, verse number 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamus write, 
These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. So let's look, number one, at the author. Let's look at the author. First, A, he appeared as a warrior. Write that down. He appeared as a warrior. He says, this is the one that writes, the one who hath a sharp sword with two edges. Now, if you will turn with me, if you will turn with me to Revelation chapter number uh, 19, real quickly, just flip over, uh, uh, just flip over Revelation 19. Now, we know, we know this is Jesus speaking, say amen. We know this is Jesus speaking. He is writing uh, to these particular churches, individual churches, and we know that it is the Lord uh, Jesus Christ speaking. Now, look in Revelation 19 in verse number, uh, verse number 11. This is when Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation period to rule and reign on this earth, all right? Uh, 19 verse 11, when you get there, say amen. It says this, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. Now watch what he's coming to do. Watch what he's coming to do. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. All right? So I want you to keep in your head, it's, he's coming to judge. He's coming with judgment. Right? This means yes. This means no. Right? I, we just read it. All right? Amen? Now look in verse 15. Look in verse 15. And out of his mouth... Goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. Now watch this. Now watch this. Here's here's what I want you to get. In in the church of Ephesus, he, he approaches them and he addresses them really with encouragement. In the church of Smyrna, he really addresses them with encouragement. In other words, he's coming to them to, to, to be a blessing. He's coming to them to encourage them and to help them. But we find a different situation in this letter. This letter, he's approaching and addressing them in a way of judgment. He's saying, I'm speaking to you as the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now, why was he coming in Revelation 19? For judgment and to make war. What did he have? A sharp two-edged sword out of his mouth. And we know the sharp sword is his word. He's going to conquer with his word. He's coming. But it is, listen, he's coming as a warrior. As, as the church of Smyrna, the persecuted church, he was addressing them as a resurrected Savior. But here in Pergamos, it's totally different. He's coming as a warrior. He says, I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What's he saying? I'm coming to judge. There's some major problems. There's some major problems in this church. Major issues going on. So, so the author is coming as a judge. He appears as a warrior, the one with a sharp sword with two edges. He's armed with the word. Write that down, B. He's armed with the word. Hebrews 4.10. Hebrews 4.10. For the word of God is quick and powerful. And by the way, quick means alive. It means alive. Y'all know the, the, the quick, when you, when you bite down into the quick of your fingernail, are y'all with me? Or you clip your fingernails and it goes into the quick and you say hallelujah. Now, now why do you do that? Because it's alive, amen? There's nerve ending there. It's alive. That's what it means. It's quick. The word of God is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Listen, it's two-edged. The Old Testament, New Testament, it cuts coming and it cuts going. Say amen. Yes. 
He's armed with the word. It says Ephesians 6.16, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Amen. Church, say amen. amen. So we see the author. You see, now before we go on to number two, can everybody see that Jesus is approaching this group, this particular congregation, in a different way than he did Ephesus and Smyrna? Can everybody see that? I'm coming as a judge. I'm not coming to put a pat on your back. I'm coming as a judge. This is a serious situation. This is a serious problem that we're going to have to deal with. Serious enough that he says, I'm going to start cutting with a sword. Okay, number two. I want you to see the atmosphere. Look what he says. The atmosphere. Verse 13. I know thy works and where thou dwellest. Even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. So let's, let's look at some things. A, I want you to see the religious surroundings. The religious surroundings. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you the, 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 the outline. You can just write it down, and I want you to sit back and listen, because i got some information for you. Ephesus was known for its commerce. Smyrna was known for its commerce. But Pergamos was known for its religion. Its primary, its primary information and what everybody in the world knew about it was its religion. It was a center for many cults and many pagan rituals. And so let me, let me just read you a little information. The particular city is less than 200, or excuse me, less than 100 miles from uh, 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 Ephesus. Smyrna would be about halfway as you were moving north. It's about 20 miles inland from the Aegean Sea. It was built on a lofty hill in the broad and fertile plain of the Caicos Valley. By the time John penned this letter, it had been the capital of a Roman province in Asia Minor for somewhere between 250 to 300 years. It was an important religious center where the pagan cults worshiping Athena, Asclepius, Dionysius, which was in another name for Bacchus, the god of drunkenness and debauchery, and and one specific one, Zeus. All of these things were there. The worship of the Roman emperor was also very big. In fact, this was the first city in the ancient Roman world to build a temple to Caesar. And we know there was also one in in, uh, Smyrna that we studied last time. Uh, the emperor worship had reached a point of cultic form, and he was no longer seen as a military or political leader. He was seen as a god. And in this city, they built the first temple to Caesar, so it was the largest in the world. In the city of Pergamos also was a large university and a library. And we are told that it was pretty, pretty remarkable, especially for ancient times, because you got to think there was no printing press. They had over 200,000 uh, uh, copies, 200,000 volumes in this library. It was so significant and, 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 and so widespread that, that Mark Anthony took it and sent it back uh, to Cleopatra as a gift. And so this was an educated group of people. This, this was not, uh, 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 anyway, anyway, let's move right along. Uh, in this particular place, in this particular place, as I said, it was known for its religion. Then, B, write this down. We see the ruling of Satan. Not only the religious surroundings, but the ruling of Satan. Look what he calls it in verse 13. He says, I know where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And the word seat there means throne. 
It's the word that means throne. So he is saying, I know that you're in a place where Satan dwells. You're in a place where Satan's throne is. And God is saying that Satan, he set up his, his base of operations right here in Pergamos. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Well, I thought the devil was in hell. Wrong. He is the prince of the power of the air. He, listen, he has dominion over this world. He comes, we don't, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. Are y'all with me? Satan is out and about. Peter said it this way. He's as a roaring lion who roameth about seeking whom he may devour. And it says here in this letter, he's saying you're right where his base of operations is. This is where Satan's seat is. Now let me, let me, describe, let me describe some of the, the pagan the pagan religions that we find here. Uh, one, one, one of the most notable would be the, the temple to Caesar. Now you remember, they begin to worship Caesar as a god, and so this, the, the, the cult of Caesar worship was huge. Uh, once a year, they would have to burn incense to Caesar, offer sacrifices to Caesar, and declare Caesar as Lord. And that's what, got, uh, that's what got many of the Christians in trouble because they would not declare that Caesar is Lord, only the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. amen. And so we have the, the, the worship of Caesar. But then we have the worship of Zeus. Zeus. Uh, Zeus was the supposedly, supposedly the head of the pantheon. He, he was, he was uh, supposedly the god of all gods, the, 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 the greatest of all gods and and they had an altar to Zeus at, on the Acropolis here in Pergamos, which is the highest place in Pergamos, that looked like a throne. It was built, and I've got a picture of it, if you can put that picture. This is a reconstruction. This is a reconstruction of the altar of Zeus in a, in a uh, museum in Berlin. But as you can see, what does it look like? It looks like a throne. I mean, it looks like a huge throne, and they would, they would burn incense and worship Zeus here at this altar. Now, is this what he was referencing? Is this what John was referencing when he said the seat or the throne of Satan? I'm not sure. I mean, but it's, this was the largest edifice in Pergamos at the time, in the highest place. I mean, it was, it was huge, magnificent, and, and people from all over the world came to see it and worship there. But then, then this was the... Ooh, and, and some of y'all, your skin's going to cry. How many of y'all like snakes? <clears throat> How many of y'all think a only good snake is a dead snake? <clears throat> the crocodile hunter would not like y'all. <laughs> Crikey, amen. You know, he, he's all about snakes. And oh, beautiful. No, kill that thing. Amen. Cut his head off. They had the religion and the god of that was called Asclepius. Asclepius was the god of healing. He was a snake god. And in the temple that they had for Asclepius, uh, people would come from all over to be healed. Supposedly, he had healing powers. And there were snakes all in the temple. Non-poisonous snakes that slithered all over the temple. And the way you worshipped and the way you came to be healed is you would have to come and lie down on the floor in the temple and sleep on the floor as the snakes crawled out. Whoo, say amen. And they believed, they believed 
that the snakes would infuse their healing power and the god Asclepius would give you the healing you need as the snakes go, I don't even like saying it, say amen. Now watch, this is the symbol. This is the symbol of Asclepius. We still use it. This is medicine, right? I think there was another one. Did you get that other one? And see, that's, that's, that's what it was. Now, what is, what, is, what, is, what is Satan called? A serpent. A serpent. Now, I'm not sure, I'm not sure in John's reference to Satan's seat, whether it's because of all the false religions that was there and it was the center of paganism, whether it was uh, Zeus's altar that looked like a throne, whether it was Asclepius because of the, the snake and all of the references there. The, the point, and it's all irrelevant. It doesn't matter. The point is Satan had power and Satan was working from there to spread evil and wickedness all over the world. If that makes sense, say amen. And here we have this little church. Here we have this little assembly in the midst of all this paganism. Now keep in mind, keep in mind that most of the idolatry that we read, especially through these ancient places, there was anytime you found idolatry, you found immorality. In other words, sex and debauchery and nakedness, all of this was used. Most of the, most of the temples that were used in the idolatrous temples always had priests and priestesses that were used for orgies and, and all of their sexual ceremonies that went with them because every time you found idolatry, you found immorality. If you will go back, if you will go back just for your own study, go back and read the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus is the instructions that God is giving the nation of Israel to set them apart. And there are so many instructions that are there about incest and bestiality and homosexuality and all of these perversions. And he's saying, don't do none of this. Now, why does he have to tell them that? Because that's what they saw in Egypt. And that is the behavior and the, and the kind of activities that was going on in Canaan and all of these nations that they were going in. And he says, I don't want you to be like that. You belong to me. I want you to be pure. I want you to be holy. I want you to be set apart. Don't mix with this crowd. Are you all with me? Say amen. And in the midst of all this debauchery and all of this paganism, and here's the thing, most people today... <clears throat> Most people today have a, a, a they, they separate secularism and religion. In other words, we have church over here and the rest of my life over here, the rest of uh, society over here. But in that day, it was all intertwined. Everything was intertwined. All of the religion, all the social behavior, all the social action, everything that went on with that. So... So if you didn't go to those temples and you didn't, you didn't, you know, sacrifice to those idols, you stood out like a sore thumb. And you really couldn't, you really couldn't associate with the people around you or your neighbor have, hey, you couldn't have a, 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 a barbecue with your neighbor because you didn't have anything in common. Because if you stood for the Lord, you couldn't do all that stuff. And so that's what took place. He said, I know where you dwell. Not only, not only do look, look, look at the next point. Look at the next point. Their approval. Look in verse 13. 
He said, I know thy works, I know where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. You see that? In the midst of all of that debauchery, they stood firm. They would not deny Christ. Even at the risk of the safety of their own lives, they would not deny the Lord Jesus Christ. They would not deny the gospel. They would not deny that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ were saved by grace through faith. They stood firm in the midst of all that wickedness. And man, he's proud of them. He said, you didn't deny my faith. To the point that he, he, brings, up, he brings up a martyr. He brings up the name of a martyr whose name was Antipas. Antipas, some, some people, some writers and some scholars believe that he was the pastor of the church here in Pergamos. All right? He was arrested. He was arrested and killed for his faith. Some traditions, some, some believe uh, 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 by writings, Irenaeus has, has wrote some of these things, that he was actually taken and put in a brass bull and burned alive. They put him in a brass bull that they made and put a fire under it and basically roasted him to death because he would not deny Christ. He would not burn incense to Caesar. He would not offer sacrifices. He was faithful unto death. And this is who Jesus is addressing. He says, you're not denying my name. You're not denying my faith. Even in the midst of all of this debauchery, all of this dangerous atmosphere, you have stayed faithful. Say amen. amen. Two things I want you to write down. There was a firm conviction. A firm conviction. And a faithful confession. A firm conviction and a faithful confession. I'll be honest with you. I'm afraid. I'm afraid if many modern day Christians lived in those times and that days, they'd be in a mess. I mean, we, we don't even want to get out in the rain. Much less... Risk being roasted in a brass bull. Where, where has the commitment gone? Where has the steadfast faith gone? The hell or high water attitude that no matter what, I'm going to be faithful to Christ. Now y'all got to agree with me. Come on guys. But they were. And they stood. And they didn't deny the faith. You say, well, man, that sounds pretty good. Why, why in the world is he got it coming with a sword? And why is he so serious? And why are we talking about judgment? Well, we're going to see the admonition in the next verse. What is the problem? What does, what does Jesus have against this assembly? Look in verse number 14. <clears throat> verse 14. But. But I have a few things against thee. Because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat these things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. 
So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now let me, let me, let me read just a little bit, and then I'll, I'll give you the, what I want you to write down. <clears throat> he says, this is what I have against you. You have these people who believe these false things, and you're allowing it. You're not dealing with it. You're allowing them to feel comfortable. I have a few things against you. Because you have there some who are holding the teaching of Balaam, and I'm going to explain that in just a minute. Your responsibility, you're not putting them out of the church. You're not dealing with it. It was a question of their denying the Lord's name. Nope, they didn't do that. It wasn't a question of them denying the faith. They wouldn't do that. It was a question of being soft and tolerant to sin. There are some in the church there who wed the world and brought compromise into the church, and they were allowing them to feel comfortable. They wasn't dealing with it. Now let's talk about Balaam a minute. Here's your, here's your homework. Here's your homework. Uh, write down Numbers <clears throat> Numbers chapter 22 through 25. That's what I want you to go read. This is the story of Balaam. Now let me, let me describe it a minute. Let me describe a minute. Balaam, the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel have come out of Egypt. They're getting close. They're getting close to the Jordan River where they're going to cross over and, and, and right at Jericho and, and conquer and go into the promised land. And there is a king by the name of Balak. All right, say that with me. King, of, king Balak. And uh, uh, he, he, he was here and he's seeing everything that the nation of Israel is doing. Israel's conquering everybody they come against. I mean, they're, they're destroying all of the enemy. They're destroying all of the nations that they're coming against. When they come out to fight, to try to, uh, 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 try to stop Israel, God has given them victory. God has given them the ability to defeat their enemies. And so Balak says, oh, we got to do something about this. we got to do something about this. Uh, I need to get somebody to curse them because there's something supernatural on their side so obviously this is a spiritual issue, so I'm going to get somebody to curse them. And so he hires the prophet Balaam. Now Balaam, <clears throat> he is basically a prostitute for hire, a prostitute prophet who would do whatever for money. And so as you read through this, Balak, he, he, hires, he hires Balaam. Now, now as you're reading it, it's going to look like, it's going to look like that Balaam is not, he's not for all of this. And he's not, he doesn't want to do this. But that's just not necessarily true. Because as we know, later on you'll read a verse that says that Balaam is the one that gave him the counsel to do what eventually ended up tripping the nation of Israel anyway. And I'll talk about that. So he was all in the deal. He was after the money. He wanted the fame. He wanted the fortune. He wanted to get what Balak was offering. So he goes and he tries to curse Israel. But how many of y'all know that, they, that Israel had a God that was more powerful than Balaam? Amen. And when, when Balaam tried to curse Israel, instead of a curse coming out of his mouth, a blessing come out of his mouth. And Balak says, what are you doing? I hired you to curse them. He says, let's try it again. So he took him to another place. He took him to another spot and said, look at him. Look at him, curse him. So they set up seven altars and seven oxen and, 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 and set these, these uh, sacrifices. And, and so he gets ready to curse the nation of Israel. And when he went to curse them, blessings come out. 
Three times. Three times. Listen, you're not going to defeat God. Three times he tried to curse Israel. And three times he ended up blessing them. Even the third time, he brought up Christ and, and, and the ultimate king that would come one day. I mean, this, this man prophesying, amen? And so in all of that, he realized this ain't going to work. Cursing them is not going to work. God's not going to let me curse them. So he come up with an ingenious plan. He figured out, I won't be able to curse them. Let's corrupt them. So he gave counsel to Balak. And he said, here's what you need to do. The only way we can get them to fall is for them to anger their God. And get women to go in and seduce the men of Israel and cause them to intermarry with the Moabite women. And listen, bring them in and mingle with them. And, and seduce them and, and cause them to intermarry because if you can get them to intermarry, you're going to see, you're going to see that then you can pull them into idolatry. And guess what? It worked. It worked. And because of it, God was angry. And many died because of it. Now what is what is John talking about right here? What is Jesus saying? He says, you've got some in the church that are mixing. And they're bringing the world into the church. The church is supposed to be separated. The church is not supposed to be like the world. The church is supposed to be different. Are y'all with me? We are living in a day when the world is getting churchy and the church is getting worldly. And he says, this is not to be. So what was happening? What was happening? You have this assembly. You have this assembly of believers who were faithful and, and who stood for the faith, who would not deny Christ, who risked their life for the gospel's sake. And, and in that, in that, you find that also you have a group of people that started coming into the church with them that were still going to the temples, still going to the festivals, still going to these feasts and ceremonies where there was wickedness and sexual immorality and all of these things, and yet coming to church and singing, Oh, how I love Jesus. Now, were they converted? No. But what was happening? The faithful crowd... The ones who stood for the faith, who stood for righteousness, they didn't do anything about it. They just let it be. They allowed immorality and corruption to come in without church discipline and dealing with those who were behaving that way. Nothing has changed in today's society. We're dealing with it today. Not only that, not only that, but look what he says in verse. <clears throat> uh, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Where did I stop? 15. Okay, there we go. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, 
which thing I hate. And this, this was the same. This was a different group, but they had the same result. Now, let me, let me read this to you. All right, A, if you're taking notes, write this down. First, there was unwise compromise. Unwise compromise. They were allowing wickedness and, 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 and mixed in the world, just walking in the world, doing whatever they want to do. But then we see B, unscriptural concession. An unscriptural concession. Now, what exactly was the teaching of the Nicolaitans? This led to the same behavior. It was comparable to those who were following Balaam. I can't even say it. Balaamism. Irenaeus writes that Nicholas was a false believer and in Acts 6 was appointed as a deacon, but later defected and became an apostate. If you'll go to the book of Acts and, and when they, they chose out the seven men to serve tables and to uh, uh, serve the widows and give the widows food, this was one of them. But he was a false believer. But he was chosen and he was in the church. What does that mean? There can be people sitting beside you that can look good, but a wolf in sheep's clothing. And he says that he defected and became apostate. And like Balaam, had advocated a mingled lifestyle. He may have been kind of a pre-Gnostic. He, he no doubt was a libertine who believed that you could conduct yourself any way you wanted to. It advocated an extreme indulgence in sin, uncleanness, immorality, orgies based on a perverted understanding of God's grace. It was an abuse of freedom. You have people like that today who think they're free in Christ to behave themselves any way they want to. I'm saved by grace. Listen, if you try to talk about purity and you try to talk about holiness and you try to talk about standards, they'll say, you're a legalist. Hey, it's all about grace. It's all fine. God loves everybody and everything. Listen, that is not so. That is not right. Listen, you cannot live any way you want and God's okay with that. God does not sweep anything under the rug. Let me give you a verse. Let me give you a verse. The Bible says in Titus 2.11, we're talking about grace. How many of y'all are glad for grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Let me say it this way. Mercy and grace, right? Mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Listen, it's because of God's mercy, I'm not going to hell. It's because of God's grace, I'm going to heaven. And grace is unmerited favor. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I couldn't do nothing to get it. God gave it to me all because he wanted to. Say amen. amen. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace is the ability to be saved. Grace is why that you can have a sinner who was condemned, a sinner who is wicked, a sinner who was as bad as John Newton. John Newton was a hell-raising slave trader who was probably a murderer also, but God saved him and he penned the words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Somebody say amen. It is grace that gives us the opportunity to make it to heaven one day. Thank God for grace. Oh, but grace don't mean you can live any way you want to live. Let me give you a verse. Let me give you a verse. 
Look what it says. Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. Teaching us. What is grace? What does grace teach us? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's what grace teaches. Also, Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Listen, I'm of the persuasion, once saved, always saved. I'm of the, in other words, I believe that my salvation is, is completely 100% by the grace of God. I can't earn it. He gave it to me. I can't be good enough to get it. Y'all with me? I wasn't good. That's not why I got it. If I can't be good enough to get it, I can't be bad enough to lose it. But... That is not a license to sin. That is not saying, okay, okay, since I'm, I'm eternally secure, I'm not, I'm not going to lose my salvation. I can just go be whatever because of grace. I'll just ask forgiveness. I know, I know there's people say, oh, just ask. You know, it's, it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. I'd be careful with that. Because sometimes the consequences cost way more. Because you can't control the consequences. You can control your decision to be stupid. But you can't control the outcome of your stupidity. But there were people that were going around saying, I'm saved by grace and, and, and it's all grace and, and I, it doesn't matter. I can just be whatever and live whatever. And, and you're, you're thinking, there's no way somebody could think that. They're doing it now. People shacking up, unmarried, committing fornication, sex outside of marriage and will sit in these pews and sing right beside you. That's the, that's the easy one to see. What about the one sitting with bitterness and a grudge against their neighbor that, that cut their roses too short one day 30 years ago? And you ain't talked to them for years and you won't talk to them because you won't forgive them and that's... We'll come in here with sin. Grace don't teach that. Grace teaches denying ungodliness. Denying filthy lust that we live soberly, righteously, holy. Boy, social media reveals a whole lot about what really, really people are. I mean, it'll cuss like a sailor in one post and post a Bible verse in the next. Listen, it says these things ought not so to be. How can sweet water and bitter water come out of the same fountain? But they were allowing it. They were allowing a mixture and sin and worldliness. They wasn't doing it. Now think about this. 
they wasn't going to the festivals. They wasn't going to the, to the ceremonies. And they were not participating in this wickedness. But they were not dealing with the ones who were. What does that, what does that mean? That means we have a responsibility. Not only, not only to stay free from sin... But we have a responsibility to deal with it. We have a responsibility to call it out. It blows my mind. It blows my mind how many times people have gotten angry with me because I had to deal with them about a sin that is so black and so blatant and so obvious and they get mad. What? You're supposed to love? I do. That's why I'm telling you. But we're living in a world today that if a preacher calls out a sin, it's... That's why he said, I'm coming with a sharp two-edged sword. And you need to repent. You need to repent. Listen, write this down. Write this down. We see their appeal their appeal two words I want you to write down repent and remove when you write that down turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 How many of y'all still love me? Yeah. It's going to get worse. Don't clap. Don't clap. I ain't finished yet. You might want to save it. I'm kidding. I'm teasing. Here we find find the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. You know, anything about the church at Corinth, it had issues. I mean, issues. This was a church that was carnal. This was a church that was immature. This was a church that, I mean, they were, they were fighting going on and, and, and squabbling, uh, immorality. And, and this particular chapter deals with one particular case that they had. It was a man in the church that was having an affair with his stepmama. And as crazy as that sounds, as crazy as that sounds, it was happening. And... They's coming to church, sitting, being a part of everything, participating in everything, and nobody was saying nothing. Nobody was dealing with it. Nobody approached. I don't want to offend nobody. Well, watch, watch what Paul says about it. Chapter 5, verse 1, when you're there, say amen. <clears throat> it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. That's sex out of marriage. And such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles. In other words, he's saying, unbelieving Gentiles ain't this crazy. Y'all with me? That one should have his father's wife. Now watch what he says about him. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, 
that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh for the, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Are y'all with me? Say amen. It says, your glorying is not good. Know ye not. Now watch why he says that you need to deal with. What he's, what's he saying is you need, to, you need to apply church discipline. You need to meet with this person and deal with the sin. You need to confront this and get this out of the church. Why? Why? Look at the next verse. He says, he says purge out. Let me, let me make it. Verse 6. Verse 6. When you're there, say amen. amen. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a, may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. What's he saying? That, that bread, that, that little leaven, if it stays in there, it's going to make the whole lump leaven. Are y'all with me? Put it in words we're going to use. If you allow a little sin in the church, it's going to spread like a cancer. You cannot allow it. You cannot put up with it. You need to repent and remove it. He's saying you need to do church discipline. Now, I don't think you need to hang everybody from the, from the, you know, the, the center court in the, in the center of town, anybody that makes a mistake. I think if it's a private mistake, you handle it privately. If it's a huge public sin, you got to deal with it that way that all may fear, according to Paul. But you need to deal with it. You cannot just let it go on. You cannot sweep it under the rug. If they are, and, and I know what you're thinking. Well, preacher, you let people come here that's doing bad stuff. Yeah, but they're not members. We have to put a place and an open door. Let all who come. I want drunkards to come. I want homosexuals to come. I want adulterers to come. I want, listen, drug addicts to come. I want uh, people that are unforgiving and have grudges. And I want people that are gossips to come. Say amen. amen. I know they're coming. <laughs> I want, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what sin you have. I want you here. I want you sitting under the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of the gospel because you're going to hear about a Savior who loves you more than all your fiber of every being and he will save you, he will change you, he will fix you, he will bless you. But if you are a member of Temple Baptist Church and you claim to be a Christian, then you have a higher standard in this place. And if you name the name of Christ, you need to walk like it. You need to talk like it. You need to dress like it. You need to act like it. You don't need to mix in the world and they can't pull you apart. You need to stand out like a sore thumb because of the way you behave, because of your attitude. They ought to know that you name the name of Christ. We should be separate from the world. Church, say amen. He says, repent just deal with it. And by the way, by the way, isn't it a cool thing? If you go read 2 Corinthians, if you read 2 Corinthians, you'll find out they dealt with it. And you know what the dude did? He repented. He made it right. You see, 
You see, God's discipline. I think some parents, I think some parents punish to punish. I think mine whip me just stay in practice sometimes. But do you know God's punishment or God's discipline was never for the sake of punishment? It's always for the sake of correction and restoration. The only reason he dealt with Jonah the way he did is so he could fix him and correct him and get him back. That's why, that's, this is so great. This is so great that when you're acting ignorant and you're doing wrong and God disciplines you and God corrects you, it's over when you get right. When you repent and you make things right with God, the discipline's over. Say amen. He got right. And I mean, they, <laughs> that church dealt with it in such a way that Paul had to say, chill out. Go read 2 Corinthians. He said, listen, man, this guy, he made things right. If he made things right, don't get on him too much, lest he be overrun and overwhelmed with too much sorrow. Your discipline brought sorrow, and that sorrow brought repentance. Church, say amen. Look here. Watch this. Watch this. Does the Bible not say to come out from among them and be ye separate? It says, what what fellowship hath Christ with Belial? What, 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 what do we have in agreement? What fellowship does light have with darkness? He says, come out from among them and be ye separate. Be ye separate, saith the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. Lastly, I want you to see the award. He says, you need to, you need to fix this. Verse 17 <clears throat> He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. In other words, you to understand, get this. Pay attention, pay attention. To him that overcometh. Now, you'll, you'll see this word overcome or overcometh a lot in Revelation. You say, who was that? Who are the overcomers? That's the true believer. That's the ones with true faith. Not a, not a false faith, but a true faith. According, according to 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, the overcomer is the one who believes. So if you're truly saved and you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a true faith, you're an overcomer. Isn't that great? Now watch. Watch what he says to the overcomer, the one with true faith. He said, I will give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone. And in that stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth. So two things. Two things God is promising to the true believer. First, he's, he's promising provision. Write that down. Provision. We all know what manna was. We all know what manna was. It's angel food. Amen? God provided manna. God provided manna in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel as they was coming through the wilderness. Honey sweetened. Say amen. It was the food of the angels. God baked straight from heaven, dropped it down on the nation of Israel. Why does it say hidden manna? They put manna, they put manna and hid manna in the Ark of the Covenant. How many of y'all remember that? So when they went in, that, that manna was there, and it was a reminder of what God had done to them, but it was also a type of Christ. What did Jesus say? He, he referenced that 
when he fed the 5,000 and he addressed them and said, I am the what of life? Bread of life. And what is, what is being promised here? You're going to receive Christ. He is the provision for all that we need, all the substance and, and everything we need to survive and, and, and overcome and, and be blessed and have the strength that we need and the support that we need. It's all going to come from Christ. And he's saying, I'm going to provide you everything you need. But then he says, and I'm also going to give you a white stone. Now, what is a white stone? In that day, if you'll remember, they would have games, kind of like our Olympics. You remember we talked about that in, in, in Smyrna and Ephesus there? They would have uh, uh, games that were worldwide. People would come from all over the world and participate in these, these Olympic games, these, these uh, uh, contests that were made. Well, when a person would win a victor in one of these games, they were giving a white stone. And that stone was basically, the only word I can think of at this moment, it was their ticket. They would have a festival and a ceremony, uh, really a huge dinner, award ceremony, uh, to reward all of the winners, all of the victors. And the only people allowed at this festival, at this ceremony, was those who won. And the only way you could get in to to the award ceremony, if you will, is to have a white... And that meant that you were a victor. That meant that you were a winner. And what are we saying spiritually? One day we're going to sit at the wedding feast of Christ that we read about in the book of Revelation and we're going to get to in a little while. And we're going to sit around God's table and we have access, that's the next word too, permission, amen? He is going to give us permission to sit at the victor's banquet. Listen, you may be going through hell on earth right now. You may feel defeated right now. You may think that everything's going wrong right now. But if you are a child of God, if you have true faith and you are an overcomer, you will understand that no matter what or how bad it looks like, you will win. Say amen. And you get access to the celebration. I'm going to say this. Uh, I love DVR. I love it. Tammy gets mad at me. She, I, I, I'll, I'll DVR one of my ball games. And I've like watched it eight times. And she'll come through the bedroom and say, you're watching that again? This past week, we was playing South Carolina. And the first drive, touchdown, South Carolina. Second drive, touchdown, South Carolina. We're down 14 to zero. And it looked pretty depressing. But because I had DVR, I knew in just a little while, come that fourth quarter, being down 17 points with four minutes left in the third quarter, we is coming back, say amen. And when it was all said and done, I'm talking about all said and done, three minutes to go, we score four ahead, say amen. So all I had to do, hey, 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 hey. Listen, Andrew, we tied it up 
before halftime. We tied it up, and they come back and scored again. And then it was 31 to 14, and it looked bad. But was I frowning? Nope. You know why? Because I knew with three minutes left in the fourth quarter, our quarterback was going to dive across the line at fourth down, and we was going to win the game. I know what you're thinking. What's this got to do? How many of y'all are saved? How many of y'all, the devils beat you up so bad you thought you were losing the war? Guess what? Mo, I've read the back of the book, and no matter how bad it looks, no matter how much you think you're defeated, no matter how your surroundings are and what it looks like, you got a white stone and you're going to be allowed in the celebration. No matter if it looks like you're a loser now, honey, you're a winner. Can we give God praise and glory? Come on, give Him praise. You know what? For all of y'all that stuff's going okay for you right now, that don't mean nothing. But you let all hell break loose in your life. When you get to that place, you feel like you can't keep your head above water and you think you're going to suffocate with all that's coming against you, you're going to appreciate what I just said. He said to the overcomer, to the one with genuine faith, I'm going to give you a stone. It's going to have your name on it. A special name, too. Nobody's going to know but you and him. Church, say amen. amen. We're over time. I know y'all got spoiled last week. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, 